as the son and grandson of Episcopal priests, it would not do when I became an aspirant for holy orders for me to have my own father as my sponsor in Greece. So I traveled west to Kansas City from our little tiny parish up there just south of the Missouri-Iowa border and went to visit Father Ed, who was a respected priest of the diocese and at the time was leading one of the fastest growing congregations in all of West Missouri. Father Ed was easily one of the wisest and most astute priests I have ever met. And some of his words in those initial early visits still roll around in my mind and head. He loved to tell the story about first arriving at the parish and discovering that the altar guild was more fastidious than most. So fastidious, in fact, they nervously scurried around all of the time, getting things absolutely perfect before Sunday worship, never minding him constantly assuring them that things would be fine even if they weren't perfect. He reached a point of exasperation with them where he finally decided to move things out of order right before the service, just to prove that they would not be struck by lightning. Our altar guild is not quite that nervous. I will share that with you. But, but the point of being so fastidious about their faith was something that Ed saw through right away and wanted to shift in them. When he saw me, he saw me coming from a mile away. And it wasn't just because he knew my dad. It was because he could see somebody who loved to work hard and identified with his work so intimately that there was little room for anything else. Richard, he said, he said, you're going to be fine in seminary. You will be fine with scripture study. You will be fine with theological study. But he said, what you need to work on is your relationship with Christ said, that is the greatest gift you will be able to give the people you serve. And if that wasn't hard enough, then he said, you need to set aside time each day to be with God. To be with God, he said, so that you can experience the love and joy God has in you for simply being who you are. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and in some respects, even today, I have no idea what he's talking about. It is the hardest teaching, probably, I have ever been given. But it is a teaching that I realized is deeply resonant with what is happening today in these beautiful scriptures. The first story we hear is about the people of God returning from exile in Babylon and restoring the traditions of their ancestors and learning what it means to be a people again. And in doing so, in the depths of our Judeo-Christian traditions, they are discovering for the first time, perhaps, that they are people of the book. What does that mean? It means they are a people who are gathered around a common 
core of scripture, of holy writing, that they are going to learn how to hear and recite and wrestle with and argue over on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. Now, like most people, when they first hear the Book of the Law open and read to them, they are hearing it as we all hear it, and that is, this is a text about how we have failed to measure up. Because you hear that intimated in the text, they weep. They are, they are stricken to their hearts about how far they are away from the faith of their ancestors and how far they hear themselves from the strictures that have been handed down generation after generation and have been carried through that exile and recaptured in the Torah as we now have received it. But Ezra is a little bit like Father Ed He's a good priest. And he reminds them this is not about being fastidious. This is not about how far you are from the law. This is about God's love for you. And how God rejoices in the fact that you are gathered around with open ears and open hearts. how it's not that just God has liberated you from captivity and given you your identity back, but that you are that liberation. And so go, as it says, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, rejoice that God has deigned to call you God's own. That will be enough. It is human nature, isn't it, to hear texts legalistically, particularly in our day and age. But this is not the intention behind the disclosure of Scripture. We are often like that little congregation in Corinth in the first century that Paul is writing to. That little congregation that has been deeply affected by the wider Roman society of which it is a part. Well, what do the Romans do? They organize people and things, and they count heads. One historian has said that's really the only thing the Romans were good at, is counting things, right? We learned that from them. But in organizing their community, the Corinthians have started to do what the rest of Roman society is doing, and that is they start to measure people's value by their status, wealth, their status in society, and even when they think they've overcome that, they start to organize people around their status in terms of their spiritual gifts, and how some spiritual gifts are to be more valued in the community than others. Paul says, no, no. I know how fastidious you are being in this way. But this is not the point. In fact, all of you are valued, slave or free, Jew or Greek. And the lesser among you you clothe with greater honor, 
says, because you are not whole without one another, and you are one another's keepers. That is the only true identity in Christ. He is reminding that. Which will lead us, of course, to one of his greatest passages of writing, with which most of us are familiar, that beautiful passage about love in the next chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians. And then we have today's gospel. And as I said a few weeks ago, it's not what is there that matters as much as what is not there. When Jesus stands up and reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in his home synagogue, he deliberately leaves out verses there that are about vengeance. He deliberately excises them from the reading. Like Ezra, he wants to remind the people that our God is not about vengeance, but is about deep and abiding love. And that love is not promised for yesterday or tomorrow or the afterlife, but is here and present now and is fulfilled when the community is gathered and open-hearted. When we sit still long enough to hear a God who loves us for the simple reason that we are. We are here. And we gather as community week after week, as they did, to be reminded of that, to partake in that. It's as simple as offering open hands and receiving the body of Christ into ourselves reminded that we are loved, not because of what we do or our status in the wider society or because of how fastidious we are or how successful we are or how good we are, but because we are made in the image of God. God loves all that It's a radical message. And it is a message that comes across to us again and again and again as we hear the Holy Word read week after week as we gather in prayer. But will we take Father Ed's advice and stop long enough to partake, to eat the fat, to drink the sweet wine, salvation, and to be loved, and to be loved. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online 
at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.